0: Welcome to the Renovate Podcast. I'm Ben Fuquay, one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. When the gospel becomes the lens that we see the rest of the world through, or even ourselves through, it radically changes everything. This week at Renovate, I'm going to unpack seven of those key areas. Enjoy. Enjoy. Good evening, Renovate. We love you. We're glad you're here. Like Josh said at the beginning of this time, man, we would love to connect to you more. We are a very imperfect ministry. We're aware of that, but we really would love to connect to you and figure out how to to get to know you better and how to get you plugged in and love you better, ultimately, as a a ministry and as a church. Um, Confession. All of my life, all of my life, uh, I... All of my life, I thought babies were ugly. (laughs) Slimy, alien, kind of fish face looking things. Uh, They come out, they make a lot of noise, which just adds to the unattractive unattractive part of it. Uh, Just ugly, right? They just look wrinkled and disturbed, and their eyes are big, and they don't have hair, and they're ugly. And um, see them in the grocery store, I would immediately judge their parents. Uh, maybe, Maybe throw up a little bit in my mouth, I don't know. Uh, They're ugly, right? Then then something happened. In 2013, my wife gave birth to our son, Charlie, and then almost three years later, uh, we had Miles, uh, my second son, and everything changed. Babies are so freaking cute now to me. (laughs) They're precious. I wanna hold them and cuddle them. I wanna scoop them out of their parents' grocery cart at the store and kiss them, (laughs) hold on to them, awkward for an awkward amount of time. Uh, I I think babies are incredibly cute, man. I think they're incredibly precious. Did my kids come out looking like old, wrinkled men? Hell yes, they did. (laughs) But I love them, and they are so precious, and they are so beautiful, and something changed. And something changed with how I see babies now since September of 2013. I now see babies differently. In fact, I now see the entire world differently because of my dad card that I now have, right? I now see it differently. I see, uh, I I drive down the street and there's train tracks by where we live. And I had never really, like obviously I had noticed trains and I had stopped for trains and things like that when they were passing in front of me in my car. But now every time I drive on the train tracks, I'm looking for choo-choo trains. Right, I'm looking for teacher. I pass by construction sites. Ooh, look, a front end loader and a, and a dump truck and a crane and an excavator. I get really excited when I pass by construction sites because I now have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and we point those things out all the time. And so even as I drive throughout the city, I see the city differently because I now have these two kids usually in the back seat of my car. Uh, it, it changes how I see a ton of stuff. I now love Curious George. I love, you get it, you get it. I love Curious George and I love Curious George, not just inherently because he's so great. I love Curious George because I hate Daniel Tiger. <laughs> and my son will watch, if my son sees Daniel Tiger, he's like, okay, let's watch Daniel Tiger. And I'm like, oh no, hey, how about Curious George? And I can, I can kind of derail him onto Curious George and he'll do it. That's why I love Curious George because Daniel Tiger is the worst he is the, if you don't know who Daniel Tiger is, he is a cartoon tiger, wears a red sweater and no pants all day long. And he is the worst. And my, my biggest hope for you as a community is that when you have kids, that the creators and producers of Daniel Tiger will have repented and will have given up that show. Daniel Tiger's the worst. And so I love Curious George, right? I, when I see Curious George, it makes me happy. When I see dump trucks and trains and things that I would have never really noticed, never really cared when I see babies, my perspective has been drastically shifted now that I got this dad card, right? The last five years of my life, I see things differently now. Um, that is a microcosm of what the gospel should be doing to us. Because of the gospel, we should see everything differently. The way we drive, the way we act, the way we work, the way we date, the way we, everything in our life, we should now see through these new lenses of the gospel. It's something we talk about. It's something we talk about all the time. It's something we will continue to talk about all the time. It is something that is in every page of the scripture that we stand on. It is crucial to our faith. And it is crucial not only to our salvation to understand this gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is absolutely the driving force to our sanctification, which is our maturity for those who are believers. Their maturity, our maturity is driven by this idea of the gospel. And am I seeing properly? Am I seeing through the lens of the gospel in everything I do, in all of my relationships, in all of my experiences? Am I seeing through that lens because that should shape everything for us? And so if you were here last week, we talked about the gospel. We talked about the gospel kind of at this 30,000 foot level. The foundation, the expanse of how important the gospel is and kind of this 30,000 foot level, we talked about 1 Corinthians 15, which the gospel we get is one of the most overused words in Christendom, right? We use that word all the time. The simplest definition of the gospel is when Paul defines it in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, this is what it is. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a historical event It's a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, and if it really happened, Jesus died, buried, and rose again, then it has unending theological implications is what we talked about. Unending theological implications. If Jesus really is who he said he was and did what he said he did and is going to do what he says he's going to do, then the theological implications of what that means about who God is and how this whole thing and universe and us work are unending, unending. And so that historical gospel becomes a theological gospel, which then should absolutely become this incredibly personal gospel, which is what we talked about last week. This personal gospel that we have to see and surrender to and follow and apply to our life. It changes how we see everything. And so tonight what we're going to do is we are going to zoom in on seven key areas whole sermon is basically going to be one long application. Seven key areas that the gospel that we talk about, that we preach, that you, that you have heard potentially and some of you maybe haven't, that you would have ears to hear afresh tonight and we would just apply it to seven key areas of our life. Uh, that's what we're going to do. Last week, we talked about 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15. And if you were here, we talked about how the love of Christ compels us. That just shows how the love of Christ, this gospel, is foundational, right? It is what controls us as believers. The gospel takes over. It's not, it's not just that thing we heard at vacation Bible school when we were a kid, or sitting on our grandparents' couch, if that's your story. It's not just the thing at summer camp that we got introduced to or the prayer that we prayed one time. It's not just that one thing that we receive and then we move on to other things. It is the thing in our faith: the death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're just going to apply, man, how does that death, burial, and resurrection impact seven areas? Move through them systematically tonight. Uh, so tonight, because we were in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, believe it or not, we're going to start with 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17. Spoiler alert, next week we're going to be in 18, 19, and 20. Isn't it amazing how numbers work? That's how it works. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17. We'll throw it up on the, board, on the, uh, on the screens if that's easier for you. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 right there in the middle he says this he says from now on therefore he's referring to what we talked about last week talking about the gospel this death and life of the gospel from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The gospel of Jesus, guys, should change everything in your life. It should change the way you see everything. It should change the way I see everything. I have not arrived at this. If you are in this room and you think, oh yeah, okay, I I know this sermon. You have not arrived at this. We are fighting. One day we will see face to face. Right now we are seeing through a glass dimly lit and we as a body of Christ, and as a ministry are trying to mature our eyes to see properly, but we have not arrived. I have not arrived. It is the most perspective shifting truth in history. The gospel is. From now on, therefore, we no longer regard each other according to the flesh. Right? We're now new creations, it says. The old is gone, the new has come. Because of the gospel, we have a new perspective. So these seven areas, we're gonna, we're gonna just work through them. Some will spend more time on, some will spend less time on. Are there more than seven areas? Absolutely. Absolutely, these are just seven biggies. Ready? The gospel changes how we see. It changes how we see work, okay? One key area, if we're just gonna apply this gospel and instead of just staying at 30,000 feet, we're gonna zoom in and say, okay, the gospel, the, this historic Theological, personal gospel should change how I see work. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, I'll throw it up on the screen. Paul says this, he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. He says, whatever you do. So for everyone listening to this, in this room, listening to it online, whatever you do, Do unto the Lord, whether you are in school, whether you have a job, whether your responsibility is raising kids or you don't have a job, your job is looking for a job right now, right? That's your job, right? And that's the season you're in. Whatever you do, whatever you are doing, do unto the Lord, right? Our perspective changes, right? Because because what happens because of our faith is now we no longer get to see our bosses just as bosses. Right, Because now we regard no one. Remember that verse we read in 2 Corinthians 5. We now regard no one according to the flesh. So because of what Jesus has done, we now don't get to just regard other people according to the flesh. Now we don't just get to see our bosses as bosses. We see them as people that for at least this season, our teachers, our leaders, we see them as people that the Lord has put in leadership over us. As we submit to them as unto the Lord. It changes our perspective. Your boss now, you see as unto the Lord is how you're supposed to follow that teacher, that leader, that boss in your life. And, and if you say, but Ben, you don't know my boss. You don't know my professor. You don't know the leader in my life. They're ho- She's horrible. He's horrible. I get it. I don't. I don't know them. Here's what I do know. I know there's this guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. He was asked and blessed to follow a guy named Potiphar, who was not a follower of Jesus, and even more so, he was positioned to become the guy under Pharaoh. The guy, right? He was the right-hand man of Pharaoh and submitted to Pharaoh, who wasn't a good Pharaoh, was a pagan dictator. And and Joseph was this guy who is praised within the Old Testament. So Joseph is called to submit to Pharaoh, as unto the Lord, and God used that submission in incredible ways for his kingdom in the Old Testament. We celebrate that guy, right? We we do Broadway musicals about Joseph in his coat. He's a big deal in Christendom. Another big deal, another big deal, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus was living in a period of time under the submission of the Roman Empire. Guys, everybody, everybody around Jesus, was wondering, when are you gonna overthrow Rome? Right, they were wondering, they were oppressed. Jesus was the savior of these people and those people were being oppressed by a foreign government. And so everyone around Jesus was like, this is the one, he's the savior, he's even calling it. He's the, I mean, he's healing people, he's gonna go and overthrow Caesar. We're gonna get our nation back, we're gonna get our freedom. They wanted him to overthrow the physical leaders. And what did he say? He said, pay unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? He said, man, I'm, I'm not here to overthrow governments yet. Yet, that wasn't, He was there to overthrow a spiritual kingdom that they weren't even seeing. And he submitted and he, hey, pay to Caesar, what is Caesar's? So I don't know how bad your boss is. Probably not a pagan dictator, right? Who put a lot of people in slavery. Probably not Caesar, right? Had a lot of people killed and murdered and conquered countries. If that is your boss, talk to me afterwards. <laughs> <clears throat> we are called to submit as unto the Lord. And that changes if we're believers because of what Jesus has done. Now as believers, we don't get to function at work the way other people do. We kind of got ruined by the gospel there, folks. We got ruined by the gospel. To so now we function differently in our workplaces. We function differently under authority. And now that, that if you're maturing, right? If, if you're maturing, now don't get me wrong. You could go through your whole Christian life and believe the gospel believe the gospel and and even be, be saved and have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you could go through your entire Christian life and just not apply the gospel to how you work and you'd be missing it. And that would be really sad. In fact, all seven of the areas we're gonna cover, you could not apply the gospel to those areas and that would be really sad and you would be missing it and you would be staying in the shallow end and that would be a dangerous place for you to stay if you profess to be a believer. But, if you are maturing and you don't wanna miss it, then yes, you're gonna see your work differently. Uh, you're gonna see your work as an opportunity for redemption. Right? You're gonna see what you do at work as an opportunity for redemption. If I was gonna summarize the entire narrative of Scripture, here it is. This is what God is doing. It is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That is what God is doing throughout 66 books of the Bible that we love and study. Right? There's creation, there is fall, there is this redemption, and then there is restoration that has not fully happened, but we are in this period of time where those who are in Christ have been redeemed, and we are waiting for that full restoration to, to happen and to take place that Jesus promises that we put our trust in, right? And so here's what the gospel does. As a Christian now, we now have, are a part of that narrative, We are now a part of that narrative on God's team, a part of the process of redeeming the culture around us. Specifically, your workplace is now a place where as a believer, if you're a believer in this room, you're called to be different and to see your workplace as an opportunity to bring about God's redemption in little ways. In little ways, the fall brought about the curse in Genesis three, right? In Genesis three, this horrible thing happened and sin entered and we call it the fall, which is kind of a weird way to say it, but this thing happened. And then because of that, work was cursed in Genesis three, right at the beginning of this whole story, cursed. But now we get to be a part of that redeeming work. Three clear ways, if you're hearing them, there are three clear ways that our work, we should see our work differently. How you submit unto the Lord, how you submit you submit to whoever it is in leadership in your life in this season unto the Lord. If they're asking you to sin, no, we don't do that. But as you follow them, even if you don't like them, you submit unto the Lord. Two, your attitude and your heart behind your work. Your attitude and your heart behind your work should change, should be this redeemed thing. It goes hand in hand with your perspective of who you're submitting to. Because if your perspective is that you're submitting to your boss or your leaders or whoever it is, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to submit to the majesty of the Lord. Well, that should shape your attitude of how you work, your perspective, your heart behind how you work. If, if you're submitting to Jesus, then it should be gratitude as you work. It should be worshipful as you work. Uh, I don't get a lot of opportunities to cook dinner for my wife. I don't. Not because of gender roles, just because of how our family schedule works right now. And my sweet wife works harder than anyone in the entire world. She's amazing. She is a leader. She is godly. But I don't get a whole lot of opportunities to cook dinner for her just because of scheduling. So when I do get those opportunities, when I get the opportunity to, to work for her and to get in there and to make a mess and then clean it up and make a meal and work hard in there, man, I do it. And it's fun and it's exciting and I want to do it well because I love and I care and I'm so appreciative, not only. Of God, but also that I have this incredible wife who, who does and leads so well in our family and in our home. And so, man, I, how you see who you submit to is gonna shape how you work, your attitude, your heart behind your work. And then the third way, it's clear, is your excellence. Man, it, you're gonna see your work differently. You're going to work harder. Man, it, this gospel should change your work ethic. You're ruined by the gospel. It should change your work ethic. I, I, used to, uh, I used to work, I used to wash windows for a living. That was my job. I had a squeegee and a long pole and all the Pier 1s in Dallas, I would wash. I didn't climb the buildings because I wasn't that much of a baller, but I did one story buildings. And I washed windows, man. My first year of marriage, I was at Clearview windows. It was, was me, drove around in a beat up van and it was awesome. And I wanted to wash windows really, really clear because I'm representing Christ. There should be excellence in my work. There should be excellence. I used to work for a sprinkler repair guy, right? And I was his like right-hand man. And I repair, I, should, I should want to, didn't always because I wasn't super mature, would, should want to repair sprinklers at a level of excellence that gives God glory. You should want to be a student, a professional, a whatever it is that you do with a level, because of the gospel, because now it changes the way you see everything with a level of excellence, where people around you say, wow, that follower of Christ outworks everybody. That follower of Christ works with excellence. And that follower of Christ is different. Their attitude, their excellence, the way they interact with our jerk boss is different. The gospel should change how we see work. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. How are you joyfully submitting in this season of your life? Don't like your boss or your professor or your leader? Pray for him, pray for him. Don't complain. Start praying for them. What's your attitude like when you work? Are you working in a way that others say, wow, wow? Okay, second one, how we see, right? The gospel changes how we see. It changes how we see dating. Dating, relationships, those romantic things that some of us in here hate, uh, some of us love, um, there is all of these seven things could be a sermon in and of themselves, right? So we're just skimming the surface. I just want to show you tonight's about showing you how personal and practical the gospel can be and should be. Uh, so I'm going to tease this one out, but we're not going to get into this because there is so much stuff here. There's so much stuff here, um, and and I think specifically relevant for our crowd, for us, for where we're at. We've got a lot of people in this room who are new to the marriage game, relatively new to the marriage game, new to the engagement game, figuring out romantic relationships, doesn't have romantic relationships, what would like to, figuring out that dating thing, man, it is so crucial that we as believers see dating, relationships, romantic relationships with this lens of the gospel. It's so important. And so in a couple of weeks, we're just gonna do a whole series on them. So literally we're gonna do six weeks on just that one. Uh, so if you care about that, cool, check back in. If that sounds miserable, stay away. Um, right? So we're going to dive in really deep there. so I'm not going to cover a whole lot there because there's just too much to cover, but I'm going to say this. We should see dating. Here's the one thing I'll say. We should see dating as an opportunity. We should see dating as an opportunity to serve and lay down our lives for somebody in pursuit of the ultimate picture of the gospel, Right, the ultimate picture of the gospel in, in an earthly relationship is a marriage. Right? It is the ultimate picture. God says I my mean, marriage is designed to be this picture of Christ and, and the bride and, and the church and Christ and us, and, and it's this beautiful thing, right? And he he calls us that. And he and and so dating should be shaped by our desire, not to say, is this person right for me? and not, But it should be shaped by this desire to say, man, I wanna lay down my life. I at least wanna pursue this to this end, to lay down my life, to be this earthly picture of what is happening between Jesus and that guy or that girl, okay? So stay tuned, a few weeks, we're gonna drown you in that stuff, okay? Third, the gospel changes how we see pain. <clears throat> okay, let me be real sensitive here. Um, the gospel changes how we see pain, how we see disappointment, how we see hard things in life, discouragement. The gospel lens should, should, should change some of that. Um, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, I'll put it on the screen here for you if that's easiest. Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What happened on the cross changes how I see pain in my life. The historical gospel changes how I see pain in my life. Uh, we Danielle and I, we lost two babies. Before Charlie and before Miles, we lost two babies. Um, We had two miscarriages. And I remember sitting in a car, in the car in our driveway, and really asking this question, um, can we still worship that God is still good? Even not knowing if we were ever gonna have that, right? Even the fear of not knowing will we ever have what we desire, which I know connects to some of you guys, as a very honest, visceral, valid pain. Am I going to be given what I really, really desire? Uh, After a year of marriage, the second summer we were married, we were in a really bad car wreck, really gnarly car wreck. Uh, Danielle lost a kidney. She was in the ICU. We were in the hospital for two weeks in Longview, Texas, which was awful. If you're from Longview, sorry. That's a horrible place, guys, horrible place. Uh, Talk to me afterwards again. We'll pray for you. Uh, really bad car wreck, right? And I just remember being this young husband, been married for her for a year, and you know she's sitting in the hospital bed for two weeks, uh, clicking a morphine button that isn't doing anything for her pain because her pain was that bad. And asking, man, can I still trust God? Can I still trust God? I can't fix this, I can't solve this problem. Pain and hard things, God has used to bring about questions that we have had to answer that he has so sweetly and divinely answered in our life in unbelievably worshipful ways. It has shaped our marriage. It has shaped me as a follower of Christ, all different kinds of hard things and painful things. Man, there are circumstances in your life that are painful. I get that. There are hard things in your life that you're going through that have happened to you that you are not looking forward to, but that are still ahead of you. There are breakups in your life that are painful. There is rejection in your life that is painful. There is illness and death and abuse and rape and horrible, horrible things that are not what God wants. They're not his desire for you, but they happen to us church and they have happened to you and there's pain in your life and that is really hard and it hurts but the gospel changes how we see difficult things the gospel is not a quick fix Right? It's not a quick fix that we hear and we have some intellectual knowledge of the death, burial, and resurrection and now all of a sudden we're not supposed to hurt anymore. It's not a quick fix, but it is hope. And it, is not, it doesn't just give us hope, it is hope. It is hope. The gospel is our hope. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, 1 Peter said, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. Man, no matter how painful it has been in your life, or is right now, and you feel like you're sitting in it. And what the gospel does is it says, man, there's hope. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago, that resurrection gives us this hope that now it is a person, right? We have hope that we have a God that has conquered death, and so our discouragement and depression and anger and pain, then we get to look to a God who is in control, who conquers death, and has given us a promise Has given us a promise here in 1 Peter. He's given us a promise in James 1. He's given us a promise all throughout Romans, this idea that yes, this is hard, and yes, it shapes us in some good ways, and yes, some of it you look at and you say, are you telling me God wanted? No, he didn't want that. Is he gonna use it? Yeah, I think think he can use it. I think he can use anything in your life, whether it's self-induced, whether it's somebody did it to you, whatever that pain is. Hope is a person, and he is coming back, and he is going to heal, and he is going to make right what is made wrong. There is hope because of the gospel, because of the resurrection. We have a God who conquered death and also there is comfort. You see how it changes how we see things? Changes how we see pain because of the gospel. We now get to see pain through the lens of hope and we get to see it through the lens of comfort because what the crucifixion was, it now says we have a God who doesn't just sympathize from a distant place, but he empathizes with our pain. We have a God who understands pain we have a God who understands abuse. We have a God who hung on a cross, was executed, understands rejection. We have a God who knows how to comfort us. Not a distant far off, but you have a father. If you're in Christ, you have a father who says, I can give you the comfort that you need. He empathizes with our pain. He calls us to bring that pain, maybe even anger, and bring it to him. And he can handle it and bring that to his altar. And lay that down and say, I'm, I'm mad or I'm hurting. Or, and he is a big enough God for it to bring about that healing. I'm gonna move on to the next one. No, I'm not gonna move on. So it's not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix, but it is hope and it is comfort. And um, there's two ways that you can deal with your pain, guys. There's two ways you can deal with your pain. You can take your pain and you can medicate it with however the world would say, numb it or ignore it or suppress it or hide it or conceal it and fake it. You can, you can do that with your pain or you can, you can see the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And that can give you this little bit of confidence, this mustard seed of confidence to be able to say, okay, because of who Jesus is, he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. He can handle this pain. I'm going to trust him enough to bring this into the light a little bit. I'm gonna find other people who know that Jesus and have put their hope in that Jesus and I'm gonna bring some of this pain and I'm gonna share it with them so I don't have to carry it by myself. So there's two ways you can deal with your pain. Suppress it, numb it, that or how the world would tell you or, or you could bring it into the light with other people who know and love Jesus and see it. And so yes, then let me tie into this next point. The gospel changes how we see community. It changes how we see community because if that happens, guys, if that happens, right? If we, if we bring our pain in this vulnerable place to other people who know the same God and are indwelled by the same spirit and say, man, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. And we get to have our burdens carried because the gospel changes how we see friend groups because now the gospel has reshaped what community means. He's reshaped it. John 15, verses 12 and 13, it'll be on the screen. It says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What marks gospel-centered community is this. It's, It's that, right? It's We love one another. We love one another. We sacrifice for each other. We lay down our lives for our friends. Is that what your community looks like? Does your community look like people say, man, I am gonna sacrifice for you. I'm gonna carry your burdens alongside you. I'm gonna meet you where you are. And because I have been shown so much grace, I'm gonna meet you there with grace. I'm gonna walk with you in community. The gospel changes how we should have community and how we see community. Man, I, I heard just yesterday, someone was sharing with me how they were going through a hard time They were going through a hard time, and they were sharing, and they were getting prayer from their people in their small group, and people in their small group just started to rally, man, rally to come around this this person and support them in just tangible ways to help meet a tangible need. Christian community should be marked by sacrifice towards others another mark of Christian community, how the gospel just changes how we see it. Man, it should, it should be this sacrifice, this love. It should also be this inclusive place. Man, the church should be the most diverse, inclusive place in the world. The gospel changes how we see each other, right? I no longer, remember with that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, that we started this whole thing off. I no longer see as I did in the flesh, Right? I don't get to see the way I used to see in the categories of the world and the categories of the flesh. Now we're this new creation. right? We're part of this one big family. If we put our faith in Christ, then yes, we get to be a part of this new community. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise that shapes how we are accepted because we have been accepted by the gospel of Jesus Christ because of his grace, then that changes how we accept others, right? We belong to this to bring others along, right? We accept them, we embrace them. There should be diversity in Christian community, right? There should be no room for racism in Christianity. There should be just no room for that. That isn't the gospel. That isn't a gospel lens. If that exists in your life, you are shallow and you are wrong. Any category of that, you are shallow and you are wrong. If you think, if you think, if you think women are less than, you are shallow and you are wrong. Right? if you are bigoted, you are shallow and you are wrong because the gospel should shape how we see each other and shape how we see community. And because of Jesus and in and through Jesus, then we get to accept everyone who is in Christ. Our preferences of whom you like get washed away, folks. Who you like hanging out with. If you're a believer, again, gospel ruins you, man. It ruins you. You don't just get to hang out with people you like. You don't just get to hang out with the people that are most comfortable for you because that's not what the gospel purchased for you. You now should be hanging out with people that challenge you and aren't like you and don't look like you and don't act like you. I think one of the most anti-gospel places at, at times, at least the the symbolism of a high school lunchroom. I used to do Young Life and walking into a high school lunchroom to, to minister to high school kids, man, it was so hard. And, and you've just got these stereotypical tables of divisions set up and different popularity ranks and attractive ranks and all that stuff. Man, the gospel tears that down. It tears it down. That should no longer be the case. Um, real practically, Real practically, I'm just, if you're not in a home group, right? If you don't have good gospel center community, if you hear this and you're like, yeah, that's great, I should, get, I should get some more Christian friends or I'm just gonna keep coming to renovate or wherever it is and, man, that's great. Man, real easy. If you're not in a home group, just get in a home group. It's a bunch of people who have all said, yes, I wanna see through the gospel lens. I wanna carry each other's burdens, after this sermon, there's a very practical opportunity for you to be obedient to God's design for your relationships with others, to walk out there, there's an info desk, and say, hey man, you guys just give more information? Maybe you're not ready, it is a, it is a commitment. There's a bar there. Man, you're gonna be, you have to be vulnerable, you're gonna have to be committed, you're gonna have to walk alongside these other people. If, you, if That's not in your life. Walk out and say, hey, I need some more information. I need some more information, that's something that's lacking. Man, you're, you're, I love you, you're missing, you're missing some aspects of how the gospel can, can shape you if you're not in gospel-centered community. It's so important. Okay, a couple more. The gospel changes how we see sin, right? It changes how we see sin. There's a lot I can say here. I'm gonna summarize. Romans 6, 12 and 14. This is what Paul says. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourself to God as those who have been brought forth, brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Man, that is beautiful. That is so good. The gospel should change how you see your sin. You should hate it. You should hate it. I should hate my sin. I should want to kill my sin on a daily basis. Figure out what it is and chop it off at the root. Where is my sin? I should, kill, I should grieve over it as the Lord does. It is the weight. I should see it as the weight. Because of the gospel, it's ruined my ability to just casually trounce and prance through sin. It, it ruins my ability to just tinker with things that I know are not of Christ. It ruins my ability to just dabble in what is unrighteous. It ruins my ability because now all of a sudden, if I have a mature gospel lens, I see sin as the thing that has brought me to death that Jesus, if you're in Christ, that Jesus took from you. And if you're not in Christ, then it's the thing that you are chasing and chasing and chasing and not finding satisfaction and fulfillment and disconnect exists there between you and what is eternal, and you know you know it, you know it, you feel it. If you're in the quietness of your soul, if you're not in Christ, you know it. I should hate it. And my sin is always trying to gain, gain ground also. It is, it's always, there is no neutral in my Christian life. I'm either killing sin, as John Owen, this old boring guy said, it's, I'm either killing sin or it's killing me. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground there. I wanna see, I wanna see, I wanna see the 100%, the acceptance that we have from Jesus. He accepts us 100% because of His grace, not because I killed sin adequately. Make sure you don't hear that. I am accepted because of the grace of God, not by works, not because I, I did a good job getting my sin out of the way. If we're in Christ, it is by grace we are saved and not works. But what I wanna see in my life and in our lives is. Yes, those who have been fully accepted, broken people who were fully accepted, just as they were, loved perfectly by the powerful, powerful grace of God that covers all of our sin, no matter how bad it is, accepted. And that then our response to that acceptance is I wanna kill my sin. I can't believe the God of the universe would offer me that much grace. That gospel that I'm saved by grace and not of works. That freedom, that gift, are you kidding me? That should propel me then through those lenses to turn then and see all of my sin and say, I hate this, I hate this and I want it gone and I want community to speak into it and I wanna bring it into the light and I wanna do whatever it takes to get this out of my life because that God saved me. Even though I had all this baggage, he saved me because of who he is, not because of who I am. Now I wanna kill it, I wanna kill it, I wanna kill it. Do you see what the gospel does, right? And now what's so beautiful about that is the sanctification process, right? That maturity process in your life of killing sin, right? Of, of, of identifying these things that aren't from Christ and walking away from them and growing and, and leaving the things behind that just rob you of, of joy and, and how God's designed you to function. Walking away from that doesn't become, man, there's all this clutter that I need to get Get out of the way so that I can get to Christ. Instead, it becomes Christ is here on this side of the clutter with me. Christ is on this side of the junk with me in my brokenness. And He is with me saying, Ben, Ben, let's let's do some work here. Let's do some work here. And the gospel just changes how I see sin. And it's awesome and it's powerful and it's beautiful. And I don't want to let go of that. I don't want to slip into, well, God still loves me. And I don't want to slip into legalism of, oh, I've got to do all this stuff. And if I sin, I fall out of. I want to be able to have this gospel lens to say I am saved fully by the grace of God. Now, would I respond? Would his kindness lead me to want to change? Lead me to repentance, turning from all that sin. It changes how we see ourselves. Two more, changes how we see ourselves. 2 Corinthians, this is where we started. This is where we started the whole thing tonight. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. What did it say? Paul said, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love this verse. If you've been around me for a while, I say it all the time. It's truth I gotta hold on to. It's truth that I so quickly forget. It's truth I have to keep preaching to myself because I keep forgetting that I'm a new creation. I keep acting like my old self. I am a new creation. You, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The shame, the guilt, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8 says that shame, that guilt, that baggage, ladies, whatever it is, whatever it is that when when you sit in church and everything gets still and everything gets calm and maybe that tape plays in your head, maybe you're not good enough or you did this or there was this mistake that you are now a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Brothers, when you feel that tug, when you hear that tape that you are not enough, of what you've done if other people knew about this how you see yourself how we see ourselves is drastically changed when we look through the lens of the gospel we were dead we were dead and buried and then in Christ we were made alive so now if we are in Christ we are new creations and so how I see myself is through a completely different lens addictions they no longer define me mistakes they no longer define me You have that tape playing in your head. Man, can you replace it with truth? Can you replace it with verse 17 of chapter five of 2 Corinthians? Can you replace those lies with, no, I'm a new creation because I'm in Christ? Can you surround yourself in a community of people that are gonna keep speaking that into you? He has set your worth and your value. The cost of Jesus Christ, the son of God, marked your value, folks. That. The son of God's death on a cross marked your value and said, I will, the God of the universe said, I will set her value. Not the world, not the boyfriend, not the job, not the dad. I will set her value. To the man, the Lord says, I will set his value. Not his wallet, not how pretty his girlfriend is, not his job status, not whatever the world would do. I will set his value by my son on a cross. I will say that is how much you are worth. We're a new creation, so we see ourselves because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It changes how I see myself. It should change how you see yourself. I don't have to just think positively. Oh, just be positive. No, no. I know I deserve death. I know, yes, I I am dead, but now I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's a different way to see. Do you believe it? Do you believe that? And how are you seeing your worth? Are you seeing your worth in money or relationships or approval of other people? Who is setting your worth, brothers and sisters? If you're in Christ, who's setting your worth? Is it anybody other than Jesus? Then you're settling for something less than what you are designed to settle for because of what the gospel is. Last thing, the gospel changes how we see Jesus. It's pretty obvious. The gospel should change how we see Jesus For all these other six things, Jesus is our only hope. For all of this life change, Jesus is our only hope. He is our source for new life. Otherwise, we just sit in our own death without Jesus. We're just trying and striving and doing things and maybe trying to be religious enough or be moral enough. Morality is not gonna do it. Religion is not gonna do it. We're just sitting in our own death without Jesus and the grace that he offers. And if that's you, and if you're there, and if you're like, man, I've never really surrendered my life to Christ. I like Jesus. I like when people talk about him. I nod my head to him, but man, what does that look like? Come and let us pray with you. Man, let's lay hands on you and pray and submit your life to Christ tonight. What's that look like? It changes the way we see Jesus. Where is this not happening in your life? Right, for you guys, where are these areas? There are so many other areas. What I, what I, my, hope tonight, what my hope tonight was that, man, we looked at the gospel at a 30,000 foot level last week. This week, man, let's just have fun and let's just skip through some areas of our life and say, look how the gospel changes this and this and this and this. And there's infinite other ways that the gospel should change and shape your life and how you see yourself and the world and Jesus and your sin and all those things. It is so powerful. It is, it is the source of our depth, as believers. And it's so beautiful, and it should lead us to worship. So where is that not happening in your life? Don't settle. Say, God, where do I need to go deeper? What what are these areas? What are other areas? Show me that I'm not applying the gospel to. Where do I need to surrender? Our life is his. Our life is his, everything and nothing less. We will proclaim that truth here in a little bit, you will have an opportunity to proclaim that truth. And you could just sing a song and a lyric off a screen, or you could make that a prayer and a confession and an admission to God that I surrender. And he wants all of you. He wants everything and nothing less. And we get to say yes to that, or we just get to coast in the shallow. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Father, we love you because you first loved us and we're so grateful for how you love us, Lord. You love us so perfectly and so beautifully. So tonight, would this just be such a sweet exercise, honestly, in just how ridiculous the gospel is? This historical thing that has every theological implication in the world that now has become absolutely personal to us in every single way of our life. There is not an area that the gospel should not touch and penetrate. And so, Lord, would you do that work in us? That's what we need, that's what we desire. Do that work in us, show us, reveal in us, and then give us the faith, Father, to surrender to you, to proclaim to you that we want all of you and none of us, Father, as we continue to die to ourselves and be alive in you. Father, thank you for your salvation for saving us, for those who are still searching. Praise God for them. Praise you, Lord. Would you do a mighty work in their life? Ruin them, God. Ruin them for anything other than you because you are what we were designed for. It's in the sweet and powerful and precious and amazing name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
1: We hope you enjoyed
0: this sermon. Uh, Really, the gospel is not just the foundation, it is this radical way in which we see everything, or at least should be, Uh, in those seven areas we talked about tonight, how we see work, how we see dating, how we see pain, how we see community around us, uh, should all be shaped by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what he's done for us, what he says about us. And then those aspects of how we see sin, uh, how we see ourselves is so crucial do we see ourselves the way Christ sees us, that there is now no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ? And so if you're in Christ, then are you walking in that freedom? Uh, it's so important. And then obviously it shapes how we see Jesus. He is our hope. So our desire and our hope is that tonight's sermon was a blessing to you, uh, that it challenges you to not only love Jesus more, but realize how you are loved and also challenges you to see the world through the eyes of Jesus see yourself through the eyes of Jesus. If there's any way we can be a part of that process in your life, uh, pushing you towards that, uh, if you, it, what we talked about with community, if you're hungry and, and needing that kind of a gospel lens community, uh, reach out to us, reach out to us, renovatefw.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to buy you a cup of coffee and, uh, and, and connect with you a little bit more. Hope you enjoyed. God bless.